depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll
sing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, may I still thy goodness prove. While the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor may thee I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee, never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.
spends a lot of days And most of fleeting changes Of life's uneven ways But if my Savior calls me To that sweet home on high I'll live with Him forever In glory by and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory Live in glory by and by I'll tell and sing love story Tell love story where I lie There with my dear Redeemer There no more, no more to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory Glory by and by I want to be a service Along this pilgrim way And lead the lost to Jesus As fervently I pray as day by day I travel, I'll keep him ever nigh And live with him forever in glory by and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory, live in glory by and by I'll tell and sing a story, tell a story where I lie There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory, glory by and by The end I know Nearing by faith, I look away to yonder old supernal, the land of endless day. I'll cling to him forever and look beyond the sky and spend the endless ages in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I live in glory, living by and by. I'll tell and sing the story, tell and stay on high. There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to, to die. Oh, yes, I live in glory, glory by and
Good morning. Welcome to our Wednesday morning Bible study. I'm Clayton Wilfer. I'm the pastor here at Joy Church in Fountain Hills. Blessings to you. Glad that you could join us this morning. Uh, Before we begin, we have announcements, as I often do up front. Uh, So first of all, we are coming up very soon to Lent and then our time of Easter. And I want to let you know that during Lent and Easter and probably for a week or two after Easter, uh, there will be no Bible study. However, I am encouraging you to join us online during Lent and certainly through Easter. So uh, in, in the evening during Lent, starting, which is starting actually February 14th, uh, each Wednesday night, we're going to have a time of gathering, a time of prayer, uh, a, a time of worship, if you will. And Lent is just one of those traditions within a number of churches. And that tradition is to help prepare us for, uh, for the wonderful day of Easter. So we begin that tradition with Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday is going to be a traditional time of worship. So we will not only have a full time of worship, it will be uh, communion and the imposition of ashes as well. And uh, we get this from Genesis, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So that's going to be February 14th, coming up very quickly here. And then for the rest of the Wednesday nights during Lent, I'm going to do a series on what is the AFLC, the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. So we're going to cover topics such as how and why did the AFLC start? What does it mean to be a free and living congregation? And I'll have to tell you, uh, I, I didn't grow up within the AFLC. As a matter of fact, the first time I saw a sign that said Free Lutheran Congregation, I thought, what, they don't charge? That's where my brain went for free. But it means a little bit something other than that. And so we're going to cover also, what does it mean to be Lutheran within all of this? And then what's the vision, the next steps for Joy Church? I'm actually excited about this series because I think it will help ground us. And I think you will find that what we've been doing all along is consistent with being part of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations especially on that living part. Okay, so that's our time during Lent. Uh, Please, please join us online for that uh, if you can't get here in person. Okay, let's have our time of prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that your mercies are made new for us each and every day. We ask for your insight, your wisdom for us as we study Revelation. Uh, Help us to see more and more of who you are, your sovereignty, your power, your majesty, your might, but also your love and your grace. I also lift up those who are in need this morning for healing. There are many on our hearts, gracious God. I ask that you would be with them, encourage them, heal them. I also 
pray for those who are of little faith or of no faith, that you may work in them a faith of salvation, the assurance of faith, the assurance of who you are. I lift this all up in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right. So as a reminder, we have uh, Bible study notes on our website. So for each and every session, I have been doing Bible study notes. So uh, I just saw that uh, Cheryl joined us online. uh, Good morning, Cheryl, and good morning, Lee. And if you're with us on YouTube or or another, uh, please say hello. Uh, You can always text during this time. I don't answer emails this time, but I do see texts. Okay, so a little bit of review to get our brains going. And, uh, you know, it's good to get our brains going. So shake off some of the rust and let's uh, do a very, very brief review. Chapter 11, we talked about the two witnesses. And we saw the two witnesses here. Uh, by the way, the cross references in Zechariah chapter 4, if you want to read that. But we saw that God sent two witnesses to Jerusalem, which uh, he called Egypt and Sodom because of the great evil and apostasy that was present there. And we also saw that they proclaimed God's word and a, God, and a word of judgment, right? Uh, and they were killed, and the people rejoiced because they were killed. So what we saw is that there's the hatred of the beast, Satan, against all witnesses of Jesus. So for everybody who proclaims the word of Jesus, there is a hatred. You know, in our day and age, you can talk about spirituality, all that you want. But when you mention the word Jesus, that shifts the conversation, doesn't it? You know, I was just, uh, went to a coffee shop in town uh, this week and uh, met with the owner. And uh, first time I'd been there, and very nice owner, and um, just said hi a little bit, said I was the pastor of Joy Church, and she, she said that was great, and talked about, uh, how she's being spiritual, right? That all of their religions really kind of point to the same thing, don't they? About being a good person and stuff. And I said, well, it all comes down to Jesus, doesn't it? Who is Jesus? And I, I didn't say it in a condemning way, but it, it kind of shifts the conversation. And she just kind of nodded and went along. Um I wasn't trying to do a conversion there, but plant some seeds. But when you say the name of Jesus, boy, it it shifts the tone, doesn't it? Okay, so two witnesses. Then you get the seventh trumpet. This is in chapter 11. The seventh seal's been opened, the seventh trumpet. And rather than calamity right away, we found that it was a great time of rejoicing. And at the very end then of chapter 11, it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So 
the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal open, you know, is sounded and God's throne is opened up and the Ark of the Covenant is revealed. And this is a glorious sight and it has great significance. We talked about where we find the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. and We talked about how it is behind the veil, the Holy of Holies. And then we talked on Good Friday how the veil of the temple was split in two from top to bottom. And you can't split, man can't split a veil from top to bottom, but it was God. And what was revealed then would have been in the Ark of the Covenant, right? The holy of holy places. So the significance of that is this. We covered this from last week. The revealing of this innermost object signifies that God has revealed his glory, both the glory of his law, the covenant, and of his mercy, as signified by the atonement cover or the mercy seat. So this is chapter 11. It is. It ends in a very glorious, glorious manner. Okay, now we're going to get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 for our study for today. And begins with the woman and the dragon. Okay? Begins this way. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And a great sign appeared in heaven. And by the way, there are many signs that are given throughout Revelation. But interestingly enough, seven times there is a great sign. It's interesting, right? I mean, I could never write a book and think about all of these things about, okay, a great sign. Well, I better make sure it's seven times. No, it's, it's written that way, a great sign. So a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Wow. Okay, so here's the question. And I'm going to go full screen a little bit just so you can see. Uh, there's one artist rendition, by the way. Who is this woman? Right? There she is. And in this case, she's pregnant. Uh, you also see the, the great beast by her in this particular picture depiction. Who is this woman? Is she a literal woman? Or is she a symbol? Right? That's the question. So let's delve into this a little bit. Now, by the way, some Catholics, and I don't know if it's some or all Catholics, believe that she's Mary, the mother of Jesus, this pregnant woman who gives birth. And by the way, they also would say that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. So the Ark of The new covenant is Jesus, right? She herself is the ark of that covenant. And then they would tie in the revealing of the ark 
in chapter 11. Uh, there are some early church fathers uh, who identified Mary as the woman here, and uh, that's in the mid-300s and 430 uh, A.D., uh, so a little bit later on identifying Mary as the woman. So the question is, is this Mary? And I want you to go back over the text with me again. And I just want you to notice some things when you are reading it. So I'll go a little full screen, fuller screen here for you. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled to the wilderness where she was had a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. So there's a lot of things packed in there. Here's a couple of things that I noticed. One is she has 12 stars on her head. Okay, so what does 12 represent? So 12 would be one of those symbolic numbers. And in Revelation, we find uh, that this is uh, the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 apostles. So where is this woman? Well, ultimately, she's on earth. She's not in heaven. She flee, flees to the wilderness. So she's on earth somewhere. And this woman has a safe place prepared for her by God. And uh, there's another period, 1,260 days, 42 months or three and a half years. So there's that period of time that we've talked about earlier. And where is the child? Well, he's in heaven. He's on God's throne. And by the way, who is this child? Well, it would be the Messiah, wouldn't it? So the Messiah is the one who rules with a rod of iron, and there's other scriptural references for that. So the question is, is this Mary? Well, Mary wouldn't be alive during this time, and there's no indication that she had to flee anywhere during this time. And also that she has the 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel or the, or the 12 apostles. So there's actually more we could delve into, but I don't get a sense that this is Mary or even a literal woman. So one of the things here uh, in this case, the Faith Life Study Bible put it this way. In Revelation, the number 12 is associated with the 12 tribes of Israel and also the 12 apostles of the church's foundation. Thus, the woman could symbolically represent the faithful people of God. The, the church, right? The Messiah is born from God's people, Israel, and his work continues with God's people, the church. So with everything happening in Revelation, I, I can't say that this is a literal woman. And I would say it 
represents symbolically the church, the faithful people. And, I mean, you can go with your your interpretation of this, but that's what I believe, given everything that's happened, and that God has provided a safe place for this woman or the church. You could also then also take, take a look at the church is the bride of Christ, right? The church is the bride, uh, and from this bride, yeah, anyway. I don't want to go too far down there because it, we start to go into the weeds a little bit. But that's where I would uh, land on this. And there are various views that we've covered before. The preterist view, which means that everything's already been fulfilled. They would say this was faithful Israel in the first century A.D. The historist who say this is about uh, over time, that this is a continuation over time throughout history, that it is about the church which endured persecution by Rome in the fourth century A.D., the futurists say that this is about to take, this will take place, that this is Israel or the church, which will be persecuted by the Antichrist, or the idealist, which takes everything as an allegory or metaphor, the church through, uh, the, church through the church era throughout this time. I personally would go with the futurist, or certainly I think the idealist fits in there. Does this rule out that Mary is part of this? No, it actually doesn't rule out that Mary is part of this. She would be part of the church, but I can't go with Mary. I think there's too much symbolism going on here. Okay, so let's move forward with this. So there's the woman. Now we get into the dragon. And another sign, notice it isn't a great sign. It's another sign. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. Wow. Talk about symbolism, right? And uh, by the way, I don't know exactly why the devil is depicted as red, although you know, I could, or with a with the tail and all of that. Actually, if you take a look at Revelation chapter seven, you'd get a sense here of why people used red for the devil, or that he would have horns, right, or that he would have uh, a, a, a tail. So, and just a little bit of side note for you on this one. But seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems. Why that? Why that? Well, I would encourage you to cross-reference Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to cross-reference some of it, not all of it, so we get a greater sense of what is actually happening here. So, go a little larger for you here. Then, this is chapter 17, starting the first one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. We'll get to this. The great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth, 
have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So I, I just started with verse 1 and 2 because I want to let you know this is not the same woman as Revelation chapter 12. Different representation here. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Scarlet's another word for red, right? Blood red in a way. And it has seven heads and ten horns. Huh. Well, there it is. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Now we skip to verse 7. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads of the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom come whom come he must remain only a little while. And we go to verse twelve through fourteen. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour so a short time, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So you get kings, rulers, handing their authority over to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who call and, though, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Okay, so we start to put all of this together here. And you find out that the dragon represents Satan, all the powers of the earth who follow him. His one desire, his one desire is to destroy all believers in Christ. This is the beast, the dragon. Seven heads, crowns, representing the rulers of the earth who had given over their power to Satan. And this beast wants to destroy the woman, I would say, the church. Okay? Now, there's something in here that I'm not smart enough to have... uh, seen, but the people I read are smart enough to have seen. And there's a subtle wordplay here about crowns. So the woman is wearing a royal headband, and the beast, the dragon, uh, there are seven headbands as well. But there's a difference in these words, crown. The woman's Stephanos means crown or wreath, and the beast Diademata diademata means crowns. Okay, so what's the difference between those two, right? That's it's like it's all Greek to me. Ha! Okay, victors wore a Stephanos, what the woman wore. 
whereas royalty and kingly pretenders wore the crown that the dragon wore or the beast wore. So there's even this little subtle wordplay in here that we wouldn't get uh, unless you study the Greek. And I'm thankful for my commentators. Even though I've studied Greek, uh, it is a hard language. So, who is, who is the victor in all of this? Well, we already know from even this wordplay that the beast is not the victor. It is Christ Jesus and his church. What did he say? And the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the gates of hell have been opened here, haven't they? We've talked about that before. Okay, I'm going to take a little sip of coffee. Questions, comments, trivia. It's a lot of imagery, isn't it? So that's why we are going slowly on this one, because there's so much imagery in here, kind of just taken apart. So we've got the the woman, we've got the dragon, and we also know that Christ Jesus is already on the throne. And the beast just wants to destroy all followers of Jesus. His tail, this is Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay, so really just the, the, the beast wanted to destroy all believers and Christ Jesus himself. But now we have this cosmic battle, Michael fighting the dragon. It says, verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So there's this battle, but there's not a lot of details about the battle, at least right here. There's not a lot of details about the battle right here. So Michael and his angels fighting. Uh, Okay, so now we need to take a little side road here because we need to work our way through this. We talk about angels all the time. But what is an angel? I mean, we talk about angels all the time. And we never really define it, do we? What is an angel? I'd like you to ponder that a little bit. What would you write down? I mean, what was the TV show? Touched by an Angel? I think that was the TV show. Uh, I mean, for a while, angels were a huge, huge thing. And often just seen as soft and pretty and, you know, things like that. Cherubs, right? We've talked about cherubs. What's an angel? Well, here's how it's described uh, as defining it. An angel is a supernatural being created by God to serve him. 
That's a, that, that, that right there, you've got to hold on to that. A supernatural being created by God to serve him. Angels often func- function, the often functions as a messenger, but also helps people, punishes his enemies. So that's a definition of an angel, supernatural being created by God to serve him. So are angels to be worshipped? I mean, there's a lot of things people pray to the angels. They sometimes even worship angels. Rose writes down this uh, of angels. Messengers uh, assisted Michael to cast Satan out of heaven. Yeah, so that's definitely part of it. Uh, Angels are not to be worshipped. Who is to be worshipped? God alone. Everything else is created. He is the uncreated. He is the creator of everything. And so here's the second question is, um, Psalm, oh, Lee writes Psalm 91, uh, verse 11. Yeah, angels, angels to lift you up. Yeah, that, that's a beautiful one. So angels are there to be messengers, to help people to uh, care for us, but also then to be God's uh, instrument uh, of punishment as well, to carry out his judgment. So do people become angels when they die? And, And Rose writes, yes, we are to worship God, not angels. Do people become angels when they die? And the answer is no. People do not become angels when they die. We are still human beings now in glorified bodies, in a glorified state, but we don't become angels. We don't get wings, as it were. There's no sense of that whatsoever in Scripture. So I'm sorry if that bursts your bubble, but... People do not become angels. Angels themselves are a whole class of created beings, supernatural beings. So here's the question. How many unfallen angels in the Bible have names? How many unfallen angels in the Bible have names? We've already mentioned one, right? Michael, what's the other one? Do you remember the other one? So we have Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel, his role was that of a messenger. And we find him in Daniel chapter chapter 8 and chapter 9. But also it was Gabriel who talked to Zechariah. Right? uh, So John the Baptist's father, it was Gabriel who spoke with Mary. And he spoke with the full authority of the Lord. He was a messenger of the Lord. He spoke with the full authority of the Lord. As a matter of fact, when Zechariah did not believe Gabriel, Gabriel said, well, you're going to be mute now until... John the Baptist is born. 
Yep. So, Rose, you're right on there. Gabriel and Michael, these are the only two that are mentioned. So let's talk about Michael. Michael is the archangel. Archangel means chief angel over many other angels. Now, is he the archangel over all all of the angels? It's hard to say exactly. There is a reference in Jude where he's called the archangel. But his name means who is like God. As one of the archangels, he wages war against the archangel Satan, who wants to be like God. Isn't that interesting? His name, Michael, is who is like God, whereas Satan wants to be like God. And there is no other like God. So Michael is, interestingly enough, Michael is identified with the nation of Israel in Daniel chapter 10 and 12. And then there's a reference to Michael also in Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 9. So I'll just read Daniel 10. Uh, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So the vision is for days yet to come, and Michael comes. Mm -hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there's a vision, right? And Michael is referenced in that vision. And then Jude 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So this is another reference going back to uh, to Deuteronomy. Um. We don't have a lot of information about that, but he does not speak on his own. He says, the Lord rebuke you. you. Not I rebuke you, but the Lord rebuke you. So this is Michael, the archangel. And I'll just go full screen here for a moment. Uh, These are various depictions of Michael, the archangel. And man, the depictions vary quite a bit. You can see that there's a statue of one, and yeah, they've got wings. Uh, Michael has wings, um, but in this case, he's holding a scale, and the scale is often depicting that uh, he is uh, going through pronouncing judgment. And I, you know, if he's pronouncing the Lord's judgment, fine. But if he's the one who's judging, well, then the theology is off on that one. But I just thought it'd be interesting for you to see a couple of pictures of how people have depicted 
Michael the archangel. Okay, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So in this case, we see the battle has happened, and, the, and Satan is thrown down to the earth. Now, this is not before, uh, before the, at the time of creation here. I'll just read it. The Reformation Study Bible says this. The passage does not speak of the fall of Satan at the time of creation, but of the defeat of Satan in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So this is not about Satan being thrown down way beforehand. This is within the New Testament, right, of Satan being fallen down, uh, cast down. And in John chapter 12, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So this speaks about the tribulation, about the the war, if you will, Armageddon, uh, in which the ruler Satan is cast out. Okay. Continuing on here. Now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the self, so right after, right? Right after Satan cast down, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come For the accuser, that's another name for Satan, right? The accuser is the father of lies, and he accuses you. And he is deceitful in his accusations. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night, day and night before our God. And listen to this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb not with the authority or the power apart from Christ Jesus, but by the blood of the Lamb. He is the one who is worthy to open the scrolls. He is the one who has overseen the judgment of this world. He is the one who has let loose the woes here. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Was it how powerful they spoke? No, it says, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus rebuke you. They would say what the Lamb has said. And it says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And then it says this, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Right? There's a gospel message even in chapter 12 that the the blood of the Lamb has conquered and therefore you can rejoice. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. He pursued the church who had given birth to the male child. Remember the hatred of of the devil, of Satan against the church. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place 
where she is to be nourished for a time and a times and half a time, three and a half years. So you find that the woman, the church, is still being protected, still being cared for. Then it says the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the dragon at the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. I'm, we're coming up against time here. It's so much imagery to take in. I'm not going to try to get all of that. Uh, but it says then, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand and sea. So let's just sum it up here, because I bet your brains are full by this time. Having failed to destroy, destroy Christ, Jesus, the dragon tries to destroy the people of Christ. He uses his mouth representing deceit. Remember, that is his main weapon, deceit, lying, accusations. And when deceit fails, he tries persecuting power. So that's from the Reformation Study Bible. So, right? Let's make it simple. The woman, the dragon, Michael the archangel. Three main things within this. How would you sum up chapter 12? I would sum up chapter 12 focusing on the sovereignty of God that even though the beast rises up, he is not victorious. Even though he pursues and accuses and deceitful, God has said, I will protect the faithful, the church. Jesus has said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And so for me, there's actually rejoicing. Even though there is persecution, there is rejoicing because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's how I would sum up chapter 12. Rose writes in here, Satan is losing the battle. Indeed, amen, amen. All right. I'm sure uh, Cheryl writes, God rules and reigns victoriously. Amen, amen. So this is actually, even though you could get lost in the battle, the victory has been won. So that's the good news for the day. And uh, let's all close in prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we stand and are thankful for standing in the victory of Christ Jesus no matter what. Strengthen us as you have strengthened us by your word. Strengthen us in our faith so that we may be witnesses to the world, to those who are perishing, that they may, they may come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for uh, being with me this morning, for being part of the body of Christ and uh, working through some very dense, dense text. Uh, But it is worthwhile. So until next time, until next week, may God bless you richly. Bye-bye.